You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message, and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Doug Robbins. Hey, City Tribe. Thanks for allowing us into your home for worship today. And you know, throughout my life, I've experienced some hard times, and a lot of those hard times have been self-inflicted due to my own sins. If you've been around this church very long, no doubt you've heard me talk very openly and honestly about my own past sins. Some of the hard times have been completely outside of my control and my own sins, and most of the ministry that I do today is informed by the pain of my past. And During this current crisis, I've been thinking a lot about you. And no doubt, many of you, like me, have felt the pain of the consequences of your own actions. But right now, most of you are feeling the pain of something that's completely outside your control. And there's a passage in the Bible that's really helped me through all kinds of problem times. And recently, it dawned on me and I realized that I often quote this verse spontaneously in my teachings and that made me realize that perhaps it's one of those significant life verses for me. Here it is, it's Proverbs twenty four sixteen: The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. So I wanna su- submit to you today just this one transforming idea, and it's this, get up again. So if you've tripped into sin, get up again. If you've been knocked down by divorce, get up again. If you've been afflicted by cancer, get up again. If you've lost a job in this coronavirus crisis, get up again. If you've lost a loved one, get up again and live again. And we're gonna see this through the story of David's adulterous affair with Bathsheba. Whether or not you've been involved in an affair today, you'll see your story intersect with this Bible story. And as we explore this story, it's always common for people to look at it through David's eyes. And since I'm a man, my default is often to see this story through the eyes of the man. But today, I'd like us to pay close attention to the perspective of Bathsheba. So put yourself in Bathsheba's shoes, or I guess outside of her shoes, as one day she's taking a bath. And it was common for people of that day to bathe outside. So picture it. She's minding her own business, taking a bath, But little does she know that the most powerful man in her world was looking at her from his rooftop. He should have been at work, but he was slacking. And the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel 11, 2, late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and he was walking on the roof of his palace and he looked out over the city and he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. So throughout the years, some have tried to make it look like Bathsheba wanted this affair. 
But what really happened? This bathing was not your everyday bath, but a specific kind. Bathsheba had just finished her monthly cycle and was performing ceremonial bathing to be cleansed from her uncleanness. And some people would suggest that Bathsheba was seducing King David by bathing in his sight, but really, she was only following the law of Moses with this ceremonial cleansing. Bathsheba was a law-abiding married woman who had no intentions of seducing the king. So it's not like she was posing on Instagram with a camera angle that shows off her cleavage. The Bible says David sent messengers to get her. This word get in the original Hebrew means to seize, take captive, to be captured. Bathsheba lived in a time when women were looked upon as property. In her day, she had no right to resist the king. So the power dynamic in this sexual encounter was way off. Can you imagine having the kind of power David had? He could order someone to bring any woman he saw to his bedroom. But what I want you to understand today is you have a form of that same power today with internet porn. You can look at some of those beautiful people in all the world. And some people think that it does no harm since it's all virtual. Unfortunately, pornography contributes to the underground market of sex slavery and human trafficking. And the person that you're looking at on screen may be extremely conflicted inside and pressured from powerful people who see her or him as meat. This is captured in a New York Post article entitled, Porn Star Deaths Add to the Adult Industry's Pain. It's about the unusual number of porn star deaths in a short period of time. And one performer talked about the competitive nature of the business when she said, this competition means girls are pressured into shooting scenes they don't want to do because they know they are easily replaceable. Now these girls do a three-month circuit and they're done. No one books them anymore, unless you're a spinner. That is, under 100 pounds and young looking. There's a lot of pressure now to never turn down a job, never voice your opinion, and to do things that you might be uncomfortable with. You feel very disposable. And I wonder how Bathsheba felt when she was taken for the pleasure of a powerful man. Now, let me give you a little background on Bathsheba. The passage tells us that Bathsheba came from a military family. Her husband, Uriah, was an elite fighter in King David's army. Her father was Eliam, one of David's mighty men, a fierce warrior. And if Eliam was her father, you know who her grandfather was, Ahithophel one of David's chief advisors. Now to give you a feel for how wise Ahithophel was, I just want to show you one passage about him. 2 Samuel 16, 23. For every word Ahithophel spoke seemed as wise as though it had come directly from the mouth of God. So Bathsheba had probably enjoyed many family meals with her wise grandfather, Ahithophel, and received his wise advice her whole life. Is it any wonder that later she would raise a son who would become one of the wisest men who ever lived? 
Now, the next scene in our story is one that Bathsheba most likely didn't see. It's in an effort to cover over his sin, David sent for Bathsheba's uh, husband Uriah to try and get Uriah and Bathsheba to sleep together to make the pregnancy look like it wasn't David's. In that day, there was no DNA testing, so David thought he could just cover it up. And David tries to get Uriah to do three things with Bathsheba, eat with her, drink with her, and lie with her. Remember those three things, eat, drink, and lie with her. But Uriah wasn't having it. And some scholars have suggested that while Uriah was back in Jerusalem from the battlefield, some of his fellow soldiers told him about the adulterous affair between his wife and the king, since it was no secret among the palace staff what had happened. So consider that theory as you look at Uriah's response in 2 Samuel 11, 11. Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in an open field. Shall I go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. Interesting. What is interesting is what Uriah leaves out of his response. It's the phrase, my Lord, the King. In that day, it was common to tack on my Lord, the King to anything that you spoke to the King of the nation. And perhaps this was a subtle backlash from Uriah who may have known what David did. So David's last ditch effort was to invite Uriah to dinner and get him drunk. But even then he couldn't get Uriah to go home and sleep with Bathsheba to cover up his own sin. And that's when one sin leads to another in 2 Samuel eleven fourteen. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest. Then pull back so that he will be killed. It's basically like Order 66 on Star Wars, Uriah, an honorable man, is indeed killed because a king wanted to sleep with his wife. And you know David's response to the death of this good man? It's in 2 Samuel eleven twelve. The sword devours this one today and that one tomorrow. Fight harder next time. So in other words, stuff happens or you can't win them all. David blows it off like it's no big deal. So change channels back to Bathsheba's view in 2 Samuel eleven twenty six. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. We don't know if Bathsheba knew that David made the order to kill her husband, but she for sure knew that she had lost her faithful husband and it hurt her. And now she would have to figure out how to pay bills and make it on her own since in her culture it was hard for a woman to have a career and there was no life insurance on her husband. And when she had completed the official mourning period, the Bible tells us what happened next in 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven. David sent for her and brought her to the palace and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son. So David basically adds Bathsheba to his collection of wives. 
And now before you say, I knew it, the Bible is endorsing weird practices like polygamy, it's actually doing the opposite. In his book, The Art of Biblical Narrative, Robert Alter, a Jewish scholar at Berkeley whose expertise is ancient Jewish literature, he says polygamy was universal in ancient cultures. And he points out that when you read the Old Testament, you'll see that in every generation, polygamy wreaks havoc. Having multiple wives is an absolute disaster, socially, culturally, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, and relationally. Alter says that you begin to realize what the Bible's doing. It is subverting, not supporting polygamy at every turn. Then Alter says, if you don't understand this, you don't know how to read ancient literature. So not only is the Bible not justifying multiple wives, but we see how God feels about David's sin in this next chilling verse, the second part of 2 Samuel 11, 27. But the Lord was displeased with what David had done. And when God is displeased, he always does something about it. He sends his prophet. The prophet Nathan tells David the parable of two men. One was rich and had a huge herd of sheep. The other was poor and only had one little lamb. And look at the relationship the poor man had with his lamb in 2 Samuel 12, 3. The poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought and he brought it up and it grew up with him, with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. We've seen this before, remember? Eat, drink, and lie. It's like God is saying to David through the prophet, I'll play you like you tried to play Uriah. And Nathan continues his story, explaining that the rich man had tra- had a traveling guest who wanted some lamb chops. So the rich guy didn't even have the decency to barbecue one of his own sheep, but he takes and butchers the poor guy's pet lamb. It's like someone just killed John Wick's pet dog, Daisy. And when David hears this, he gets irate. Look at 2 Samuel 12, 5. David was furious and as surely as the Lord lives, he vowed any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. David wants justice immediately. And isn't it interesting how people with guilty consciences oftentimes are the first people who wanna bring judgment on others. David said, the rich guy has to pay back the poor guy fourfold since the laws of their day said, if you've taken from someone, you were subject to fourfold restitution. But David had no idea what the point of the story was until Nathan confronts David with a verbal dagger in 2 Samuel 12, 7. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hands of Saul and I gave you your master's house and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? And over the years, David would have to pay out fourfold restitution when he had problems with four of his kids. His infant son died. His daughter Tamar was raped. His son Amnon committed rape and was murdered. And his son Absalom 
murdered his brother, rebelled against his father, and was killed in battle. Fourfold restitution. And if David were on this broadcast today, I can guarantee you that he would join with some of us and say adultery is not worth it. And many of us know from our own experiences, the inner pain and outward consequences of despising the word of the Lord. David knew an excruciating anguish when his infant son, born in an adulterous affair with Bathsheba, got sick. And what happened next is that child died. There's no greater pain in a parent's life than the death of a child. So let's go back to Bathsheba's viewpoint for just a minute. Think about what she went through in a short period of time. Grieving the loss of her former husband was probably exacerbated by the hormones raging from the pregnancy with David. She had the baby and may have dealt with some postpartum depression. And some of you know that postpartum depression is no joke. Then her newborn baby died just seven days after the prophet Nathan confronted King David. It's like the pain is just piling on. Bathsheba knows what it feels like to get knocked down. And having looked at David's sin through the eyes of Bathsheba helps us to see just how deviant and despicable it was. If David were alive today, some people would compare him to Harvey Weinstein. So as Bathsheba looks at the mighty King David when he's brought low, what will she see? Well, the answers are in 2 Samuel 12, 16. David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he even eat food with him. And on the seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, the child is dead? He may do himself some harm. Bathsheba saw a mighty man brought low to the ground. She saw a man who was so low, his palace staff were afraid he'd hurt himself. They were on suicide watch. He wouldn't eat. He wouldn't get up from the ground. What was David saying to God when he was down on the ground? Well, we see his conversation with God in Psalm 51. One, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want to burn offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. 
Bathsheba saw David broken and humbled for the first time since she had known him. And what would she see him do next? We'll look at 2 Samuel 12, 20. Then David got up. David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and was served food and ate. As bad as David's sin was, after he humbled himself before the Lord and got up again, he got up again. And that gives me encouragement because I know what it feels like to do things I'm ashamed of, things that hurt other people, things that used to haunt me day and night. And so in light of this truth, I wanna encourage you to get up again. If you've struggled with porn and fallen into the spiral of guilt and shame, get up. If you've abused a substance and you've tried to quit, but you keep falling and failing, get up. I don't care if you've been to prison, stolen stuff, lied or refused to wash your hands and wear a mask in quarantine, get up, get up, get up for God, get up for yourself, get up for those that are watching you, get up. Remember the proverb, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. And if you need prayer help to get up again, right now, just private message us on the channel you're watching or call the number on screen, 210-920-0405 to talk with someone who cares about you. David may or may not have been aware that his new wife Bathsheba was watching him this time. And perhaps David quit looking at his own needs and desires and for the first time realized all Bathsheba had gone through. And it dawns on David that she had lost a good husband and a newborn child through no fault of her own. And a broken and humbled David had the wherewithal to comfort Bathsheba. And after some time, they didn't just have sex, but perhaps they made love. And from that union, Bathsheba became pregnant with Solomon, who would later become the king. So try and feel the emotions and picture the scene years later when Bathsheba approaches her son Solomon in 1 Kings 2.19. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon. The king arose from his throne to meet her and he bowed down before her. And when he sat down on his throne again, the king ordered that a throne be brought for his mother and she sat at his right hand the beautiful woman who had been knocked down got up again she got up and sat at the right hand of the king her comeback was better than her setback and I was reminded of Bathsheba when I saw the story of Heather Dorndon, a runner in the Big Ten Championship in the 600-meter race. Heather fell down during the race, and look at what happened. As you watch, pay attention to the runner in the maroon Minnesota uniform. Up quickly, but that's going to cost her. Lucky she wasn't injured. 
Her teammate just went to the front, though, so they may be able to recover from that. And Dornan is flying down the back stretch. She is catching up. She is going to catch Fondor, and she may catch the leader. Wow. She's got a name. This is a gutsy effort Heather Dorndon and Bathsheba were women who got back up again. You can too. If you've been knocked down by the loss of a marriage, get up again. The loss of a child, get up again. The loss of a job, get up again. If you've been demoted or lost income to coronavirus, get up again. If you've been used or abused, get up again. Remember Proverbs. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. And one of the reasons that we can get up again is because Bathsheba got up and through her family tree, the greatest king ever would be born. Look at Matthew chapter one. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And today we honor Bathsheba because she got back up again. And could it be that God had you tune in today so that he could encourage you, so that he could help you get back up again like David did from his sin, like Bathsheba did for the sins committed against her. And so let's bow in prayer now and ask God to help us get back up again. Perhaps you'd wanna say something like this to God. God, I've sinned and my sins are ever before my mind haunting me day and night. Will I confess them to you? I choose to embrace my brokenness and confess my sin and turn from it and repent of it. And I reach up to you, God, and ask you to help me get up again and start living again. Please restore to me the joy of your salvation. Perhaps others have been beat down by the circumstances of this life and you'd wanna say something like this to God, God, I've experienced a lot of pain because of the sins of others or circumstances outside my control. But God, I'm not gonna stay down. I am choosing by your grace and by your spirit to get back up again and live. And as we continue in prayer, perhaps someone tuned in by the hand of God because he wanted you to meet him today. He wanted you to join in him and with him in love relationship. So just say something like this to God. God, look, I know I've sinned and never really had a relationship with you, but right now the best I know how. I choose to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And then he got up again by rising from the dead to give me new life. God, welcome into my life for the first time. Father, thank you for all the ways that you are encouraging us by your spirit today 
We receive all the good that comes from you, God. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, Amen. We're glad you were part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.